often the Pharisees and other religious leaders wanted to test Jesus. Now, their testing, they weren't really concerned with Jesus' theology necessarily. When they set out to test Jesus, you might say that they set out to trap Jesus, right? They wanted to get him to say something that would help their cause against him. And most often, the way that they tested Jesus or tried to trap Jesus was by asking him a question. And that question usually went something like, Teacher, what do you say about whatever? Or is it lawful for whatever? Now, Jesus would answer their question and leave them silent. Often Jesus would answer their question and they'd have to turn around and go back to where they came from. Jesus was really good at turning their questions around on them. Now that idea about questions is going to be on our minds this morning. We all know that there's nothing wrong with asking questions. It's a way to learn. It's a way to grow. We say, for example, that a good teacher knows how to ask good questions to help students delve deeper into their learning. But I think, of course, Jesus is the great teacher, and of course, Jesus knew the motives of the Pharisees and other people like them, and so he was able to turn the the tide on them, as it were. But I think another reason that Jesus was so good at being able to silence those people was because in their minds there was only one answer to their question. There was only one thing they were looking for. And all Jesus had to do was say that one thing and maybe they'd be okay with him. They weren't willing to budge from that single answer that they knew to be true. Now, in reality, you and I, well, we could be described that way often, can't we? We know things, and we know things, and you aren't going to tell me otherwise about my thing. We're used to getting answers. We're used to having answers. Everything we do in school and otherwise is programmed to help us find answers. We don't start a puzzle or a game if we know there's not answers because that's too frustrating. The worst thing teachers used to do to me when I was a kid, have multiple choice, and it, it could be A, B, C, or the dreaded D, none of the above. I hated that because that meant that that one answer I was looking for wasn't there. And we're like that quite often, aren't we? Now, again, I've encouraged you to look at the story of Job on your own and read it uh, to refresh your mind and to get acquainted with the story again so that you can get a feel as you and I consider the different aspects of Job's story over the next several weeks. Now, there's a lot to be said for the book of Job. It's a part of what we call in the Old Testament the wisdom writings, kind of like the book of Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. But it isn't any old uh, wisdom book. It's a book that has so much to offer that so many people 
can relate to. Whether someone has read the entire story of Job or not, his plight is understood by many, many people. Right? But there's something else, even if you think about the patience of Job that inspires so many of us to stand against our struggle, there's something else that I think is important for us today to consider about the book of Job. Read the book of Job. Read about his fall from riches, the lifestyle of rich and famous, right? To a lifestyle of torment, maybe even torture. Read about his wife who's just dogging him and ridiculing him, telling him to curse God, to give up everything he has left. Read about his friends who want desperately to convince him just to fess up, Job. Just tell God what you did and it'll all be over. Read about Job's confrontation with God as the Almighty speaks from the whirlwind. Read it all. Read it twice. Read it again if you want to. And as you do so, do you know something that you won't find in the book of Job? That one answer. Read it through. Read it and read it. And that one answer that we're looking for not in there. Job, it looks like, seems to confront this question of good and evil in the world, or particularly innocent suffering. And you all know the questions that I know as well that pertain to this. You know, it, why do good things happen? Excuse me. Why do bad things happen to good people? Right? And even the other way, why do good things happen to bad people? Right? Or if God is so good, so powerful, Why does evil persist? You've heard these questions, I assume. As you read through the book of Job, we all have these questions in mind. It's not just us. People forever, I think, have had those questions. Job is only one example of ancient literature that tries to answer those questions that we all have. But as you read through it, you have these questions in your mind, and you realize doesn't give us any answers. Certainly not the point-blank bottom-line answers that we're accustomed to. It seems to be more of the none-of-the-above answers that we try to stay away from. Y'all with me? It seems that as Job's story progresses, the writer almost wants us to have in mind or to have the attitude that maybe finding the answers is not the whole point but that may be learning to turn our faith and to turn our lives toward God in the midst of everything that may be going on around us. And I'll just go ahead and show you my cards out front. That's the direction we're going. Surely God will answer some things for us. Surely God will make things some, known, things some, some things known, but we also have to realize that some of these tough questions of life have no easy answers. There is no cut-and-dry, bottom-line answer, and that maybe we have to learn how to be okay with that. I think we'll see that in weeks to come with, with more of Job's story. But as you quickly read into Job, you realize that there are lessons to be learned. And our, our sermon series, it's not called Answers from Job, is it? It's called Lessons from Job. And a very quick lesson we learn is this. 
you can do everything right and still have everything go wrong. Do I need to repeat it? We can have, we can do everything right and still have everything go wrong. Job, we're told, was the one who did everything right. Job was the one who loved his God and loved his family. Job was the one that did everything right for his God and everything right for his family. Job was the one who was upright and righteous. And, you know, I've had pretty good references on my resume, but it seems like even God is impressed with Job. There was no one like him on the earth, God says about Job. You know, think about that person or persons you have in your mind, that when you think about what someone that you know that loves God, and it tries to be the most faithful. You think of those people, Job is that person and a lot more, apparently. And still, even with doing everything right, he had everything taken from him. Now the reason why I think that that's important to remember is because often we hold on to an old perspective that says, if I do good, God will do good for me. If I am a good little boy or little girl, God will give me nice stuff. And God will give me good times. And if I'm going through something bad, well, that means I've been a bad little boy. It's almost like God is this Santa Claus with rules. If you're nice, we'll look at the list and we'll check them off and you'll get all your little wishes and maybe even a lot more. But if you're naughty, you know you're going to get that lump of coal in your stocking, right? And some of you are going to get whacked upside the head with it. We hold on to this thought that as long as we do good, God blesses us. But when something bad is going on, And I could see it in this person's eyes as she came into my office uh, one day. Cancer was now a part of her life, and she was determined that she was going to fight it. And she was going to stay strong. And friends, she was doing so. She was strong, and she was fighting it. She was beating it. By the end of our conversation, with tears in her eyes, she told me, John, I know I've done things in my life, but I've tried to repent. I've told God I'm sorry. So why do you think God is still punishing me this way? Why do you think God is still punishing me this way? Now the reality is, there are consequences to actions, right? Sometimes good consequences, sometimes not so good consequences. And there are things that happen because of Something else that has happened. But here's the other part of the reality. Sometimes things just happen. See, sometimes you have to realize that your church attendance didn't bring on a medical condition. That your faith in God didn't start an onslaught of rebellion in your family. 
that maybe your giving didn't spark a, a world war, that things happen sometimes, whether you are doing everything right or wrong. Are you all with me? You see, this old idea that as long as I do things good and right, I'll be okay, I think Job is trying to say, that ain't always right. I was doing everything right. And everything went wrong. Are you all with me? You see, and we have to say this because it's real, because it's still how some of us feel. That everything we're going through is because God is trying to strike us down for something we've done before. And friends, we have to realize to go with that, sometimes we hear that maybe you've said it, well, this has happened to me or this is going on right now, and it's just God's will. It's just God's will that I suffer right now. Or it's just God's will that you're going through whatever you're going through. Well, I guess the reality we have to face is, maybe it is. Maybe it is God's will. Whatever it is you want to put into your mind that's been tough, that you've had to deal with, that maybe you're dealing with right now, maybe it is God's will. Maybe it's not. Something that's helped me is this thought that says, not everything that happens to us is the will of God. But there is the will of God in everything that happens to us. Not everything that happens to us is the will of God. But there is the will of God in everything that happens to us. When we understand things that way, our questions shift. The question is no longer, oh God, why is this happening to me? God. It's a normal question to ask. Job will eventually get to that question too. But when we understand that not everything that happens to us is the will of God, but there's the will of God in everything that happens to us, then our question can turn into something like, okay God, this is happening. What are you going to do through this? How are you going to work in me and through me, through what's going on right now. See, then we begin to ask different questions. We begin to see things differently when we ask those different questions. And as you and I read through the book of Job, realize that you and I are seeing things that Job cannot see in the story. In one scene, you and I are reading about Job and his family here on earth, and in the next scene, you're reading about these heavenly beings who are meeting with God wherever they meet at the big council in the sky. And there's this back and forth cosmic uh, uh, scenes being brought out. And what we see is that here on earth, everybody in Job's life is convinced that Job is getting what he deserves. That God is just doing to him what he has But then, up there somewhere, it's a different scene. See, we need to, um, first, uh, when you hear the word Satan, I bet I know what comes to your mind. Right? Probably a, I don't know, tall, maybe six foot three or so, red guy, right? He's probably got a little stripe of hair, something like that, a little tail maybe, and he probably carries around a big fork, Right? That's the image a lot of us have of Satan, but when we read the book of Job, I think we need to get rid of those images because that's not who and what 
the writer has in mind when he mentions Satan. In Hebrew, the word is ha-satan, which is the article, the Satan. So Satan is really an office that somebody is in. And maybe they put up a good campaign and got voted into, or maybe God picked them out specifically and said, hey, you're going to be the Satan for a while. But it's an office that somebody has, and as they are meeting with God, they're going through all this uh, conversation about who is what, and have you considered Job or not. And what Job understands, at least at first, at least in a limited way, is that there are things that are out of his control. You have to give Job some credit because at first we're told that he's the one that did everything right and shunned evil. But then when his wife gets on him and tells him to curse God and die, he says, look, we've got to take both the good and the evil. Now our our versions say the good and the bad, but it's the same word used in the original text, evil. And what Job understands is that there are things that he cannot control. And that drives us nuts, doesn't it? We like to be in control, don't we? The other thing Job realized was who had control. See, a lot of times we have in our minds that there's this cosmic struggle between good and evil, and one day God is winning a little bit more, and one day maybe Satan or somebody representing Satan is winning a little more, and there's this constant battle back and forth. Now, there is something to be said for spiritual warfare, I'm convinced. But look at what the story of Job, I think, is trying to show us. Who reports to who? Who reports to who in the story? Who says, all right, Satan, you can do this, but not this? Who has the power then? Don't you forget. Job understood, in some way at least, that God is in control. And it seems to me that you and I have to wrestle with that question as well. Either God's in control or not. If God's not in control, well, maybe that leads us somewhere else. Maybe that leads us to other questions, right? Maybe that makes us forget about the questions. Maybe we don't even care about the questions anymore. But if God is in control, what does that mean for us? What does that mean about the way that we can face our hardships? What does it mean about the way we will confront the hard realities of our life? If you look at what Job did, you know what he did? We didn't read it here, but maybe you remember. Do you know what he did first? He took off all his clothes, but that's another thing. But he worshipped God. That's what he did first. And he was able say that God was in control, total control of everything. And in our circumstances, are we able to do the same? When something bad happens to us or something that is messing with our minds, is the first thing that comes into our mind think, hey, I need to go worship God today then. And are we able to 
say, God, you've got this. And I'm okay with that. I think those are two very important lessons, first lessons that we can take from Job. And that if we can say God is indeed in full control, maybe we can be okay with not having the one right answer. That we can be okay with leaving those things up to God and trying to be more faithful to God in the meantime. And if you would like to do that, let's begin together then by uh, praying. Praying to God for strength and for mercy and for grace in the midst of all of our struggles, to indeed recognize that God is in control. Would you pray with me? Oh God, there are questions and circumstances that we have dealt with for all of time. Remind us, Lord, that there are those who have walked before us who have struggled, that there are those before us who have questioned, those before us, amidst all that, have still been able to find faith in you. Help us today to do the same. Help us to put our full trust into your full power. In Jesus' name.